Good morning. So first up, we have Jasmine, who is the daughter of the woman screaming over here. <laughs> Teresa and Federico Calderon. So I've known Jasmine since she was a little girl. And she was one of those kids that I was kind of afraid of because she would tell you exactly what she thinks. Like, you know, you have like a hair growing out of a mole and she's going to tell you. <laughs> but that's a wonderful thing. She's a straight shooter and she's bold and passionate about the word of God. And she loves her friends and um, she's a great young lady. She's going to give you the word. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Good morning, church. I am your temporary teacher. <laughs> so my teaching is basically called Pray About It, and as the name implies, literally just pray about it. Pray about everything. So obviously sometimes people do get confused about what prayer is, as if prayer was something pretty complicated that only really spiritual people would really know how to do, like a pastor. So, for example, people would think that you would just use certain words, you'll close your eyes, or make weird faces, or you just kneel, etc. But the reality is, is that prayer is just a conversation with the Lord, like having a conversation with our parents or grandparents or somebody super wise and much older than us. Whereas nothing fancy is really necessary, there's just some basic rules we really need to follow. So I want to just touch on three points this morning. First, how to pray the Bible way. Second, when it is appropriate and necessary to pray. And third, when it is not appropriate to pray. <laughs> okay, so first point, how to pray the Bible way. So Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And we can read the Lord's answer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, if you want to turn to your Bibles. Okay. And... When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours, your trespasses. That's pretty deep. <laughs> so the main points to this is one, have the proper motivation. An example of bad motivation would be, Praying to get recognition from people. Don't do that. A good motive would be to pray to get rec recognition from God. Do that. <laughs> you also have to speak from the heart, like as if you were writing a heartfelt letter to a friend or family member. 
You also need to avoid vain repetitions because there is a difference between repeatedly asking the Lord for something and repeating words with the mind turned off. Your prayer pattern should be to address the Father, to worship the Father, proclaim his kingdom to come to earth. You also need to ask in Jesus' name. Ask for provision, for forgiveness, proportional to how much we forgive others. Ask to be delivered from temptation and deliverance from evil. And lastly, proclaim his kingdom, his power, and his glory. Point two, when it is appropriate to pray. The quick and obvious answer is always, it's always appropriate to pray. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So anytime we're worried about something, for example, like raising your kids, money, Work, marriage, dating, tragedies, friends, conflicts, etc. You really should just pray to God and ask him for help or for guidance in those situations because he is your guide to a good life. There is always a reason to pray because there is always a reason to worry. <laughs> but what about asking God for direction, understanding, or wisdom? Well, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when do we lack wisdom? Let's be honest, we always lack wisdom. We're humans. <laughs> so we always need to pray for wisdom. A couple more rules to prayer would be, don't be double-minded, meaning undecisive or unclear of what we're asking. The same way if you would ask your mom for a cookie or something. Just tell her what you want. <laughs> ask in faith because trust me, God hears you. He hears you for the little things, the big things, the medium-sized things, everything. <laughs> now for the fun one when it is not appropriate to pray. <laughs> so sometimes it's not appropriate to pray because what we may be asking requires action on our part. An example would be it's not appropriate to pray when we need to obey God. Come on, man. You don't need to ask God to, obey, to help him obey you. Him. Just obey him. <laughs> Takes practice. God commanded us to honor our parents in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We don't really need to pray if we should honor our parents because of X, Y, Z reason. We just need to obey. God also commanded us to observe and obey his commandments. We don't need to pray about which commandment to obey if it's not convenient for us at this time. <laughs> John chapter 14 verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is, it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's a lot of love. We don't need to pray about whether we should give in to temptation. Sharing the gospel. We don't really need to pray about that. Just take action, man. <laughs> Jesus commanded us all to preach the gospel in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through, 18 through 20. So we don't really need to pray about whether we should share the gospel with unbelievers. We need to share the gospel. Get out of your house. Go save that random person on the street. All right. To conclude, we discussed how important it is to pray. We learned about the biblical pattern for modeling our prayers, also when it's appropriate to pray and when it's not appropriate to pray. 
because action on our part is required. Because we will always be worried about something, we need to pray about those things always. Also because we will always need wisdom from God in our lives, for our lives, sorry. <laughs> we should be praying for wisdom all the time. In other words, we should constantly be praying during the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when in doubt, just pray about it. Thank you for listening. That was awesome. Great job. I told you she was a straight shooter. That's good. The world needs that. So our next one is Liel Gonda. <laughs> Liel is one of our youngest youth, but she doesn't leave it. Is she here? Where is she? You can come up wherever you are. There you are. But she doesn't leave the stuff up to the older kids and the youth. And uh, she is passionate about worship and God's word. And I remember, um, I don't remember what conference it was, but I think it was the youth night of one of the conferences we had. And Josh Franklin told all the singers on the stage, just, did he tell them to just pray in tongues out loud on the stage? Anyway, it got to Liel and bam, it like, <laughs> it just opened up after that. And I think you said after that, like, I guess I... I speak in tongues in the mic now. So, <laughs> but now she's going to give us the word in the mic. Okay, so I'm teaching about worship, and I chose this topic because I personally love to worship. I dance, sing, and play like one or two instruments, and I enjoy using those talents for Christ. John 4.24 God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So first of all, what is worship? Worship is a sign of gratitude. It's intimacy with God. So when you're worshiping, everything else is just blocked out. It's just you and God, and you're worshiping him, having intimacy. It's truly amazing. Now, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Worship should be spirit-led, not enforced. So when you're worshiping, things shouldn't try to be forced to be exactly the way you want it. Just have God lead through worship, and it will be really good. And worship is Christ-centered. So the true meaning of worshiping is to worship Christ. And it's not like if you're worshiping going like, hey, everybody look at me. I'm amazing. I'm worshiping. It's all about Christ. The intention should be on Jesus. Now, um, there are various ways of worship. There's singing, dance, art, and even prayer can be a way of worship. So this leads on to Psalm 71.8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. So it's all day long just worshiping God. Whatever we do should be a way of worship. So say you're doing dishes and you're just praying like, God, I thank you for providing the food that you put on these dishes. I thank you for providing the dishes that I put food on. And I thank you for providing me the water that I wash the dishes with. So it can just go on and on and on, and it brings gratitude, and gratitude brings praise and worship. Um, this all goes along with 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So... Um, Everything that we do all day, it should all be for God, 
all the glory. We should do our best for God. It's um, very important to worship God. And I came up with an example to show why. Um, so their characters are Bruce and Gertrude. <laughs> and Bruce wants to be best friends with Gertrude, but Gertrude just goes about her day doing her own thing, and she only hangs out with Bruce on Monday because that's the day that she put aside to hang out with Bruce. And one day, she sent a text saying, hey, I feel like I haven't been able to get a hold of you. I wonder why. Then Bruce responds saying, gee, I wonder. Maybe it's because you only hang out with me on Monday. That's your fault, girl. <laughs> now, obviously, God's not going to say that to us, but you can see why it's important to worship God. And not only on one day, like Sunday, but every day we should worship God. Great job, everyone. That was awesome. And she really does have a passion for worship, the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So with the next one up is Ellie, who is, who is my daughter. Ellie has developed a, um, a passion for reading the Word, and she loves hearing other people's perspective on God's Word through devotionals and different things, and she just has a passion for the Lord, as you're going to hear now. She's going to talk about godly mindsets. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, like you heard, I'm going to speak on godly mindsets. So, first of all, what is a godly mindset? Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Also, in Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. In these verses, a godly mindset is described with the words acceptable, perfect, peaceful, and steadfast. God's mind is all those things. And he gives us authority and power to view things the way he does. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it describes God's mind as well. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, worldly versus godly mindsets. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Romans 8, 6 says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Setting your mind on earthly things is a trap. It's seeing the worst in people and in situations. It causes confusion and lies that are so untrue, but yet they become your false identity. Um, it's not having the source of comfort, Jesus, be your source of comfort. You go to the world with your problems and come back with more. Setting your minds on things of the Spirit, you'll gain peace and understanding. You'll find joy in trials, peace in the midst of the storm, confidence in the outcome of hopeless situations. When switching from having an earthly mindset to having a godly mindset, you'll be filled with hope and peace. For example, you can change the thought of jealousy to the thought of thankfulness. All right, so another important aspect of having a godly mindset is faith. So in Hebrews 11:1 it says now faith is the certainty of things hoped for 
a proof of things not seen. Uh, in Luke 1:45, it says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Having faith is a big part of having a godly mindset. Having a godly mindset is hearing God speak things into your heart and mind and having faith to believe it. For example, say you move and you're not loving the change, but God says it's for good. Um, if you don't accept that truth, you're not having a godly mindset. Uh, you'd be having a mindset full of negativity, lies, sadness. But if you accept that truth, that it's for good, you are having faith to think the way that God does. Now, how do you gain a godly mindset? Well, prayer changes your mind the same way negative thoughts change your mind. Prayer is a connection to the one who created all things good. It's speaking to pure truth and innocence, allowing all good thoughts enter into your brain. God says that if you ask, you will receive. So you can ask the Lord to change your point of view and thoughts to a godly mindset. Another key to gaining God, godly mindset is reading the Bible. Reading God's word is not just important to having a godly mindset, but it's actually necessary. When you're physically reading the thoughts and promises of God, you're welcoming them into your mind and soul. Over time, reading the Bible will actually start changing you, like ashes to beauty. It will change the way you think. When I'm struggling, having negative thoughts, and looking at situations through the worldly perspective, I put on worship music sometimes. Um, sometimes just the first strum of a guitar or play of the piano calms my heart and brings me into the unexplainable presence of God. It shifts my perspective from the problem to the problem solver. All of this because I can't worry and worship at the same time. This is me. This is me changing my mind from a worldly mindset to a godly mindset through him. Through God, all things are possible. Ask God for a godly mindset. When you have a godly mindset, you're putting on protection from things unseen, from feelings of lasting hurt. You will be protected by the one who loves and cares about you, God, our Father in heaven. Now I'm going to pray to end this out. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for giving us authority to have a godly mindset, to think and view things the way that you do, Lord. I open up my heart so that I can view things that are maybe hopeless in my eyes, in the world's eyes, and I pray that I will see them the way that you do, and I pray over the people in this room right now that they will have a godly mindset on anything they're struggling with now or in the future. I pray that you'll just come and overflow us and fill our hearts and minds with the way you think so that we can have peace and hope in every situation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to ask you three teachers, um, when you were putting that together, did you feel like you were getting enriched as you were preparing a teaching? Actually, I don't see where you guys are, so I can't even see if heads are nodding or not. <laughs> well, anyway, I know, I know that when I put together a teaching that I get edified, and I'm sure, Ellie, I see you. Did you personally get affected by studying for this? Do you feel like the Lord was speaking to you? Yes. What about you, Leo? Did you feel, yes, and there you are, Jasmine. 
Did you feel the Lord speaking to you? Did you feel edified through the word as he prepared your teaching? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I want to encourage you to perhaps be as bold as some of these teenagers. Take some time to open up the word of God and if you actually put together a little teaching, maybe you could get together a Bible study. Maybe you can ask your home group leader if you can do one, one day or whatever. Do it with your family, a Bible study with your family, with your friends, whatever. As you prepare the word of God, it's going to transform you. It's always the person preparing it that gets the most transformation because you're in it, you're meditating. And these kids were so awesome and brave and bold, and they dove into the word of God. That's really, really cool. So before we move on to the next thing we're going to do, I just want to show you um, a way uh, to um, incorporate all three of these things together. Or, or there's something that happens in life that God set up that will grow us in prayer and godly mindsets and worship. And that is actually trials. And I want you to consider this for a moment. Because uh, every challenge in life is an opportunity to grow. And as... Uh, Every testimony of an overcome challenge, whether it's in your life or in the Bible or in anybody else, that testimony is an opportunity to worship, and it creates worship in our hearts. As Liel was saying, worship is gratitude, and gratitude brings worship. So when you stand on the testimony of somebody else's or your own, it's an opportunity to worship and have gratitude, and the gratitude will just create this cycle of worship. Um, Anyway, as we are presented with difficult situations, we can maintain that worship standing on the testimony of what he has done and lean into him in dependent but confident prayer, as Jasmine was saying, and expect to see a victory. And all this stuff will then develop, as Ellie was saying, a godly mindset. And all this um, can be seen in this particular passage I want to show you in Exodus 16, 1 through 4. And this is happening right after um, God just delivered the Israelites out of Egypt with the plagues. He did all these miracles. And then even as they came into the desert, there was um, like various trials. They, they were hungry. They were thirsty. Every time he would meet their needs, there were enemies chasing them. Um, they needed guidance. There was a cloud of smoke and a cloud of fire. It was miracle after miracle after miracle. And so here we are. And it says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. So I just want to say that sometimes we get a little critical when we look at these guys in the scripture. And they're like, oh, you're just, why are you guys being such morons? Like, he's, he's constantly providing for you. And um, I just want to show how we can, if you really look at their situation, um, their perspective of the natural was actually correct. They weren't actually thinking of the supernatural solution, but their solution of the natural, their uh, uh, perception of the natural was that they were out of food, they were hungry, the pain was real, the hunger was real. And um, so what that does, though, is it makes your perception of the past incorrect. 
And so then they began to say, perhaps it was better back there. And, and so I think that all of us are on a similar journey of these guys. Um, we are on a journey from salvation and deliverance on our way to the promised land, the fullness of the promises of God prepared for us. And then here along the way, we come across these situations and we feel the very real pain, hunger, whatever it is, trials that come our way. And we don't want to look back. Instead, we want to use these as an opportunity. I believe God wants to use this as an opportunity to grow us into these three things that they were talking about. Um, it's funny. This is a, I feel like this is Youth Sunday, and I, I'm not a youth anymore, and I'm trying to sum them all together, and they had the anointing on them, and I'm just summoning it up. So anyway... <laughs> Um, I do. Work here. You can do it, man. <laughs> Facing a trial. Um, anyway, so we've asked the question, you know, what were they thinking? What were they doing? And now let's ask the question, what was God doing in those situations? Um, how come God didn't meet their need before they came to a need? Like, he's doing all these miracles. Have you ever thought about this? Like, he brought them out of slavery. Why did he let them reach a point of hunger? Why does he let them reach a point of thirst? You know, why did he even let the Egyptian army chase after them to the sea? Like, why does he do that? I think it's because he's providing an opportunity for us to grow in prayer, in dependency, and in, in, in worship, to stand on the testimonies of what he's done, to, to look back and to, to, as Leo was saying, to worship. And as Jasmine was saying, there's always a reason to pray because there's always a reason to worry I think that God's just giving us lots of opportunities to, like, come to him. Dependency. Um, what's best for us, God knows what's best for us, is the recognition of our dependency in him. This is that godly mindset that Ellie was talking about, utterly dependent on the Father. What's best for him is us growing in worship of him who always was, who always is, and who always will be good and worthy to be praised. And worship is the other side of the coin of dependency. Um, what's best for us is growing in a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer is the expression of both dependency and worship. Um, the Israelites were constantly being brought to the brink, and then God providing a miracle as he was trying to build them into a godly mindset, a mindset of worship and prayer. Um, and then I'll just end with this, and then we're going to have some worship, and then you're going to get prayed for, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, there's this story in Genesis 47, 13 through 25, and it's where Joseph is uh, enacting... Um, this business plan that God gave him to save the land of Egypt and Canaan. And uh, it was basically they had to save up all this food. And then once the famine hit, um, Joseph would uh, sell the food to the people. And so the people started off in a place of self-sufficiency. And they would come to Joseph and uh, they would, you know, pay for the food that he had collected during the famine. They'd get the famine. I mean, they'd, they'd get the food and they'd go on. But as time went on and the famine got so bad, they ran out of money. And so they went to the people uh, uh, under Joseph, and they're like, what do we do? And so Joseph's like, all right, you got no money? We'll, we'll take your cattle. So they traded cattle. But then over time, the cattle ran out. And then they're like, what do we do? And he's like, uh, we'll take you and your land. And uh, what happened is by the end, Pharaoh and Joseph, essentially, um, were now the owners of all the people, all the land, all the cattle, 
uh, cattle, all the money, and where they started off in a place of self-sufficiency, when you read the story, it says they were grateful. They were thankful to no longer be self-sufficient. They're like, you have given us life. Like, they were happy slaves, essentially. And I think when I was reading it, I was so struck. I'm like, wow. Like, talk about a godly mindset. Like, Lord, I'm all yours completely. Take me through each trial into a place of greater dependency on you so that I can worship you, so I can lean into prayer, so I can rejoice as your servant. 